Good morning. Good morning. Will you open up with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5? James chapter 5. We are in this uh, sermon series that's entitled uh, 21, or 2020 uh, Vision. Uh, a way for us as a church uh, to try to get uh, aligned uh, with God's plan and aligned with uh, God's vision for what a church should look like and what our church can look like. And today we're going we're gonna to talk about prayer, and that's exactly uh, what we see James talking about here in James chapter 5. Uh, so let's start reading in verse 13. When James writes, if any of you is in trouble, he should pray. If anyone is happy, let him sing songs of praise. If any of you are sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You see, Elijah was just a man like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Will you pray with me? Father, as we look at your word this morning. We have grateful hearts that you speak to us through your word. We're grateful that your Holy Spirit is here and present and moving among us and ask that, Lord, your spirit will guide and lead, that your spirit will open our eyes, that your word might speak to our hearts. And, Father, we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If you think about Jesus' life, you'll probably recall that prayer was a vital part of his ministry. You'll remember that Jesus prayed at his baptism. He prayed in the wilderness before and probably during his temptation. Jesus often withdrew to pray. Like remember the time when he prayed before walking on the water? Jesus prayed before selecting his disciples. He prayed before he taught his disciples about prayer. He often prayed before meals, like when he fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000. He often prayed before meals, like before Passover, during Passover, and in that famous scene on the road to Emmaus. Jesus prayed before he was betrayed, and he even prayed while hanging on a cross. I think this passage today in James teaches us to be more like Jesus. The author gives us all these different examples of prayer, right? If you're happy, sing songs of praise. If you're sick, pray. If you're in trouble, pray. If you have sin, pray. This morning, I really want to focus on the last passage 
when he starts talking about Elijah. And he says that Elijah was a man just like you and me. And I think that really brings a lot of emphasis to the importance of prayer in our personal life as well as our congregation life. So let's ask the question, what does this mean for Cornerstone Christian Church? Let's talk a little bit about Elijah. When we first meet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah was preaching in the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of King Ahab. And Ahab was a religious zealot, but not for God. He actually was a religious zealot for Baal, the god of his wife Jezebel. He even built a temple for Baal and the capital city of Samaria in the northern kingdom. And we are told that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings before him. And here we see Elijah standing before King Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. He says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except by my word. Well, holy cow. That's the first time we meet Elijah. He is boldly standing before a pagan king. And what is he doing? He's proclaiming the word of God. And we're told by James that he prayed and the rain stopped. We're told that he prayed again three and a half years later and the rain began. Let's talk about what that meant for Elijah as he is evidently our example for prayer, according to James. If you want to follow along your notes, write this down. Prayer is an act of dependency. It's an act of dependency. In a nutshell, Elijah prayed that the stock market would crash. I mean, that's the same thing in their day. If you're to pray that it doesn't rain, that means that people aren't being fed. It means that people aren't getting paid. It means that people become desperate. And one of those people would be Elijah. Think about it. If you prayed that the stock market would crash, the results of the stock market crashing would not only affect you and I, but it would affect everybody. And so when Elijah said, will it stop raining, he was also putting himself in a very vulnerable position. Drought meant lost wages. It meant hard times for Elijah as well. Every comfort, every need that Elijah had, had to be met by God. He put himself out there to be completely dependent on God. Think about how much faith it took to pray this prayer. Not only that it would work and that God would act, but that God would provide. And Elijah's life would be changed forever. He prayed that there would be drought, knowing that he could starve to death. Think about that. Because our prayers, if we're going to be a man just like Elijah, 
Our prayers should be rooted in that kind of dependency. That no matter what I pray, that I trust that God is going to see me through. That God is going to take care of me. And I think, as I look back on my prayers, and, and maybe you too, probably not, I'm a lot worse than you guys, but think back on your prayers. How many prayers do you pray that are focused on making yourself comfortable or happy or content in life? I think it's hard for, to pray for something we know is God's will and we also know is going to make us incredibly uncomfortable. It's hard to pray for something that we know is God's will, but we also know might make us uncomfortable. It's also hard for us to pray with complete dependency. I think because of our, our Western minds, we try so hard to do things on our own, right? We see innovation. And what works in one place, we immediately want to apply it to our own situation without prayer, without believing that God is part of it, and maybe we can succeed. Let me give you this illustration. When Apple released the iPhone in 2007, it completely transformed our society. The innovation changed the mobile phone industry and internet economy to what we see today. And because of that, companies have worked day and night to replicate their success. Because Apple created a full-fledged handheld computer. Samsung, LG, maybe they've had some of the best uh, replicas here in the United States, but it's spread throughout the world. China, India, Japan. Companies scrambled to replicate this innovation. And we see it in the church as well. In 1975, a community started in the Willow Creek Theater near Chicago, seeking to find a way to relate to non-Christians. They were driven by Paul's passion to be wise towards outsiders and making the most of every opportunity, and to become all things to all men. And their success and growth in Willow Creek led to a nationwide replication. The unintended consequence was that many of these churches thought that if I could just replicate what Willow Creek did, I would be, our church would be, just as successful. Maybe our churches can grow with a hip pastor, a good worship band, delicious coffee. But then they don't need God, right? Now next week we're going to talk about how our success is not built upon the three B's. And the three B's are butts in the pews, size of the budget, or the size of our building. Our success is determined by lives that are changed. And a hip pastor, good coffee, and a comfortable service isn't going to provide lives changed. What's going to provide lives changed, folks? God. God changes 
lives. Which is why we have to depend on God through prayer. God changes lives. The second application of Elijah's prayer is that we need God-sized miracles. God-sized miracles. James picks an incredible story to make his point, doesn't he? He says that Elijah was no different than us. He was just a man who prayed a big prayer, and God stopped the rain. He stopped the rain. And it didn't start to rain again until Elijah's prayer. And we read that in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. Look what God does. He looks at Elijah and he says, in verse 1, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Okay? So God said, I'm going to do it. It's time to rain. Go present yourself to Ahab. And then look what happens in verses 41 to 42. Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there's a sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah, on the other hand, climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. What do you all think he was doing? He was praying. Did you see that? God had already decided it was about to rain. In fact, God didn't say to pray. He said, go and tell Ahab, it's about to rain. But Elijah prayed, and it happened. But it didn't happen until Elijah prayed. In 2016, First Baptist Concord here in Knoxville did a study about Knox County, and they found out a shocking stat. In 2016, they found out that only 20% of the population of Knox County, which is 428,000 people, only 20% said they actively attended any kind of Christian church. 20% of 428,000 people. 40% of the population of Knox County are people who are becoming fed up with church and they're leaving. And then the other 40% are those who are done. They're just done. They don't identify with any religious organization. They're done. Only 0.5% identified with a worldly religion, uh, Buddhism, Islam, so forth. 340,000 people. I know that's a lot of numbers. Those who love numbers are loving this right now, but those who get lost in numbers, Jessica, 340,000 people. That's 80% of our population said they're done. They're fed up. This study was done in 2016, which means they're pre-COVID numbers. What do you think the numbers look like today? Guys, we need a God-sized miracle. We need a God-sized miracle. All right, look at this final application because it 
ties right in with that. Elijah, when he prayed this prayer, the purpose of it was to bring the world back to God. To bring the world back to God. You don't send drought on a land for three and a half years and have a guy pray to God that it'll come back just to make Elijah look popular. You do that to bring the world back to God. People needed to see that it just wasn't coincidence that it began raining again. People needed to see that it was not Baal who brings rain, that it's God. They were trusting Baal. And God wanted to bring them back to himself. It wasn't about rain. It was about bringing people back to God. The prayer that Elijah prayed had potential to bring revival. And God revealed himself that day to the people of Israel so they could be brought back to him. Luke begins a section of Jesus' story with this scene in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around near Jesus to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious elites, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Let me pause there. Jesus was teaching. Jesus was healing. Jesus was sitting. He was eating. He was drinking with the duns of that day. The tax collectors, the sinners, would have been labeled as the 80% of Knox County, folks. They were folks who were done with religion. They knew they weren't welcome. They could hear the mumblings and the grumbling when they came around those religious elite. They knew they did not measure up to their standards, and they never will. But then here comes Jesus. He was teaching. He was healing. He was sitting and eating and drinking with the duns. And so Jesus teaches the religious elite about God's heart. And starting in verse 3 of that same passage, he tells a story about a man. He had 100 sheep. That's a lot of sheep, amen? But he loses one. And so he leaves the 99 in the open field and he searches. And when he finds that one lost sheep, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, and they celebrate. And then Jesus tells these religious elite that there was a woman who had ten silver coins, but she lost one. She lit a lamp, she swept the house, and she searched carefully until she found that one silver coin. But once she found it, she called together her friends and neighbors and they celebrated together. And Jesus had one more story, right? He said there was a father. He had two sons. And one of these sons demanded his inheritance. And he ran off and left his father 
and he squandered it all. He was lost, he was alone, and he was broke. When he came home to his father, we're told, his father embraced him. And then what did he do? He gathered his friends. He gathered his neighbors. And they celebrated because the lost son was found. Because the lost coin was found. Because the lost sheep was found. So there Jesus was teaching the religious elite about God's heart, that he wants to bring the lost back to himself. And I believe that if we could just understand the Father's heart for the lost, our prayers might be a bit different. Maybe a little bit more like Elijah. And maybe just a little bit more like Jesus. Because they knew the Father's heart. And they prayed. And it was uncomfortable at times. A lot more uncomfortable than maybe you and I will ever see. But God brought revival. Getting the rain to stop and start was an incredible miracle. But finding that which was lost, that's the greatest miracle of all. And that's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate with a cup that's full of bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate with a cup that is full of blood that represents his blood. Because his death and resurrection, those were incredible miracles. But bringing back people, that's an incredible miracle. The best miracle of them all. And to be honest, church, as we look at this 2020 vision, our style of music, our liturgy, when we do a sermon or when we do communion, that's all great as we worship God, but None of it's even worth it if we're not bringing people back to God. If we're not celebrating lives that are miraculously changed by the power of God. That's what we're here to do, folks. Let's pray. Father, I think about the power of your resurrection. I'm in awe because you defeated death. And you did so for all of us. We didn't do anything to earn it. But you looked down and knew we were lost and knew that we needed you. And I pray, Father, that that joy, that passion that we have, knowing that we're lost might translate into a desire and passion to pray for those who are lost today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.